This podcast is the ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Rosemont, Georgia. For more information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, we thank you for this time together where we can unfold the truths of Scripture. I pray, Lord, that I would rightly divide your word of truth. Lord, you give me the words to say. I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, we would be changed. I pray we would leave here transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, it's his precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen. April the 19th. 1775, British troops under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Francis Smith marched from Boston toward the cities of Lexington and Concord. Now the years leading up to this event, the relationship between Britain and her 13 colonies had become pretty rocky. Tensions had grown to the point of breaking. And when these British troops marched that day... Their goal was to seize a stockpile of weapons that the colonists had been forming. Now, as the British troops arrived in these small towns, they were met by the militia, the Minutemen, the local farmers and merchants and business owners that wanted to defend their town. Now, no one is exactly sure who fired the first shot. But when the smoke had cleared, the American Revolution had begun. Ralph Waldo Emerson would later call that moment the shot heard round the world. And the fighting that ignited the American Revolution would lead to the independence of the 13 colonies. They eventually formed their own nation known, of course, as the United States. It was a defining moment in American history. But it wasn't the only war ever fought. In fact, throughout history, wars and battles have raged. They've been fought for ideals, they've been fought for land, they've been fought for power and money. In fact, as far as recorded history goes, in every century there's been war. But there's one battle that rages even today. And it's a battle most people have no idea even exists. It's a battle we can't see It's a battle we can't hear. It's not a battle fought for power. It's not a battle fought for prestige. It's not a battle fought for money or even for ideals. It's the battle of good versus evil. And ultimately, it's a battle that's being fought for our souls. Now, the Bible calls it spiritual warfare. Now, most of us live in a world of reality where we need to see things to understand them. We need to be able to touch or hear or taste. So if there's something out there that we can't see or or experience through our five senses, then we don't necessarily understand it. And oftentimes we don't even believe it exists. But I want to paint for you this morning a different reality. I want to paint a picture of a spiritual reality this morning. I want to paint a picture of a spiritual reality that within that spiritual realm, there's a battle. There is a war. And at the heart of that fight is the fight of good versus evil. God versus Satan, and Satan is going to do everything he can to destroy you. You need to understand that. And so with that thought in mind, I want to turn our attention this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 
chapter 6. Now, some of you may be skeptical. Some of you may be thinking, I'm not sure I buy into this idea of spiritual warfare. Maybe I've never heard of this idea of spiritual warfare. The idea that there are spiritual beings battling even now. Good versus evil. It's not something I'm familiar with. So before we delve into Ephesians chapter 6, I want to spend a few minutes this morning building a biblical case for spiritual warfare. Now, if we were to go all the way back to the beginning, we would see that from the creation of the world, Satan has attempted to destroy the things of God and to destroy the people of God. It didn't take him long. I mean, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything. The Bible says that it was good, it was perfect, it's as it should be. And we read in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, that the serpent, that's the devil was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now listen to what the devil says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? (laughs) You see, the devil from the very beginning has been a deceiver. He tricks us. He lies to us. He tried to convince Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 that what God had said was not really true. Eve, you don't need to listen to the things of God. In fact, if you'll do these things, you'll become like God. God. So from the beginning, he's tried to destroy the things of God. Fast forward to the book of Job. You're probably familiar with the story. Job is a godly man. The devil seeks to destroy Job. He believes he can turn Job against the things of God. And so he destroys Job's family. He destroys his possessions, his livestock. He injures Job and has to deal with physical problems and physical diseases. And all the while, the devil is trying to turn Job against God. 2 Kings chapter 6, maybe one of the most interesting explanations or examinations of of spiritual warfare in the scripture. Elijah is the prophet and the people of Israel are about to battle and as is the case oftentimes, they're greatly outnumbered. And so the people of Israel come to the prophet Elijah and they say, Elijah, we're we're outnumbered here. We're going to be destroyed. What do we need to do? In 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 16, here were Elijah's words, do not be afraid, he answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Huh. Now what do you mean by that, Elijah? So we've got more than they do, but I'm looking around and I see their numbers and I see there are only a few of us. And so verse 17, Elijah prayed, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. All around Elijah. See, God says, I'm going to open your eyes and allow you to see that it's not about what you can see. It's not about what you can perceive. It's not even about what you can understand. But surrounding you are spiritual forces. Surrounding you are spiritual forces that are going to battle over your very soul. This was a spiritual army. These were spiritual beings that were unseen to the human eye. Now fast forward several hundred years to the life of Christ. Christ does incredible things. He he heals people. He walks on the water. All sorts of miracles that we've seen and studied. And we see on several occasions that Jesus actually takes people that are demon-possessed and expels the demons or the evil spirits from them. So we read in Mark chapter 5, Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee. He comes upon a demon-possessed man. Mark chapter 5 verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Now I want you to listen to this response. My name is Legion, singular, you hear that? For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. 
A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And listen, the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. You see that? There's this spiritual battle that we can't always see, that we can't always understand, but it's very real in our lives. Now, these are just a few examples. I don't have time this morning to give you every single example of spiritual warfare. It's all through the Old Testament. Oftentimes we read about it in the New Testament. Here's the the picture that we see developing through our study of Scripture. The devil is real. He's powerful. And he has allied his forces against the forces of good, against the forces of God. And there's a battle that rages. And there's a battle that's trying to defeat you. And there's a battle that's trying to destroy you. Now you ask the question, well, what does that look like in my life? (laughs) So I can't see, right? So there are angels and demons fighting. I can't see. What, is, what does that really look like? Where does that really manifest itself in my life? Here's where it manifests itself. The devil is going to do everything he can, and he's battling with his forces to destroy you in every area of your life. That's your marriage. The devil wants to destroy your marriage. There's a spiritual battle going on right now for your very marriage. The devil wants to destroy your relationships at work. And so there's a spiritual battle going on right now for your relationships at work. The devil wants to destroy this church. He wants to divide us. He wants to do everything he can to diminish our ability to reach people for Christ. So there's a battle going on right now for this church. If God could open our eyes or if he would open our eyes for us to see the spiritual battle, we would understand that it's all around us. So it's within that context now that we delve into Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. This is Paul coming to the end of the letter he's written to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, again, we're towards the end now. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now here's where our confusion lies. You ready? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So when you think it's your spouse that you're mad at, when you think it's your boss, when you think there's that broken relationship, we need to understand there are more forces in play here than just flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul said this is real, and it will affect you. So verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after having done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. So here's the bottom line as we delve into this passage of Scripture. Spiritual warfare is real. We're not battling against flesh and blood. We're battling against demonic influences that seek to destroy us and kill us. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we defend? If this is real... And there's really a battle for our hearts and our minds and our souls. What do we need to do? Well, Paul's going to give us three areas that I think we need to consider this morning. Three areas that will strengthen us. Three areas that will help us understand how to defeat the powers of evil that surround us. Now, number one, here's what I want you to understand. 
If we're going to be able to defeat the powers of this dark world, the number one thing we need to understand is we need to rely on God's power. That's number one. We need to rely on God's power. Paul says, finally, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Now, let me go ahead and break the news to you if you didn't know this. The Bible's not about you. It's about God. And God doesn't want you to be glorified. God wants to bring glory to Himself. And if we're going to defeat the spiritual forces that surround us, we're going to defeat the enemies that try to destroy us and try to take our life and try to take our joy and try to take our happiness and try to divide us and disunify us. If we're going to defeat those things, the only way we can do it is with God's power. Now, we studied through Ephesians last year. You may remember that study, and I love that study because Paul helped us understand the foundation of Christ. He helped us understand that the church is built simply upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. But he talks about the power of God in Ephesians. In fact, early on in the book, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, listen to what Paul says. It's interesting to me how we remembered Elijah and how he prayed for their eyes to be opened so they could see the spiritual forces. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 18. He says, I pray also that, listen, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul says, I pray so your eyes can be opened. Now verse 19, and, now listen to this, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul says, I'm going to pray for you so your eyes will be opened so you can see God's power. Paul goes on to explain to us that it's this very power that raised Christ from the dead. We had the opportunity this weekend here at church to do a marriage conference, and I know a lot of you were a part of that. It was an incredible conference. We had about 80 couples. We filled up the fellowship hall and all along the balconies, and it was, it was a lot of fun and some great teaching. But they, they said so many things, so many great things for our marriages and to strengthen our marriage and, and practical tips for a stronger marriage. But one of the things that just stood out to me, this lady was talking about her marriage and, and, and how they had struggled, and, and the husband said that God just kind of confirmed in his heart and reminded him that, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Right? And if God had the power to raise Christ from the dead, don't you think he's got the power to fix your marriage? I thought, wow, that's true. I mean, God's power is incomparably great. That's what Paul says. He's got the power to not only fix our marriage, but to defeat all the enemies that have allied against us and try to harm us and try to destroy us. Now, if you were to read back through the Old Testament, you would see this idea of relying on God over and over again. It's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. So you see these Israelites that are wandering in the wilderness, wandering in the desert, that can't seem to get it right. And over and over and over again, God reminds them to focus on me. So Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Moses is about to die. He's given the children of Israel kind of the final pep talk. And here's what he says. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. We read later in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, Moses has died. Joshua is about to take over the children of Israel. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, God says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. But listen to this. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. See, we don't have the ability to do this ourselves. 
We don't have the strength or the wisdom or the endurance. God says, if you're going to defeat this, you've got to use my power. Some of you guys have probably been following the news in, in this Hurricane Isaac, right? That's in the Gulf now. Slowly making the turn northward. They're trying to figure out exactly where it's going to land. And it seems to be maybe drifting a little farther westward. People are trying to make preparations all along the Gulf Coast. I'll never forget back when Katrina came through. I had the opportunity to go to Gulfport, Mississippi very soon after that hurricane. And I had the opportunity to kind of drive on the coast and, and to see exactly what had happened on the coast. And I fully expected to go down there and to get on the coast and just see damage. You know, of course, just terrible damage and things destroyed. But the thing that, that amazed me about that trip is when we got on kind of that, that front beach road there. So you're driving and you've literally got the coast on one side and on the other is the land. And the thing that, that continues to, to, as I think about this story, the thing I'm continually reminded of is that there was no real wreckage. There was no real, real debris. In fact, what we saw for miles were concrete slabs. That's it. No houses that had been knocked down or no roofs that had flown off or no bricks laying in the yard. Concrete slabs like somebody had come in with a bulldozer and wiped it all clean. See, that storm was so powerful when that storm surge came in and destroyed all that stuff, it literally sucked it all back out into the ocean and wiped it clean. We saw these barges, these big casino barges that are like 800 feet long, six and eight stories high each, that are built out in the water. The storm surge had washed them hundreds of yards inland. They're just laying in neighborhoods Laying across a hotel, laying in parking lots, laying on the road. They're so big they can't move them. They literally had to dynamite those things. Blow them into thousands and millions of pieces and scrape all those pieces up and get rid of them. They were too big to move. And I, I looked at all that wreckage and that debris and how that had just been wiped clean. And I thought about what power must this have been? I mean, incredible force of this hurricane, this one storm... To literally wipe clean and to change a region forever. They'll never be the same down there. And I thought about the natural forces in this world. And then I'm reminded as I read this passage of scripture. God says, you think those natural forces are powerful? You ought to see the spiritual forces I got. <laughs> you think natural power is something to behold? You ought to see the spiritual forces. You think that hurricane is something? You should have seen when I raised Christ from the dead. I took a dead man and I brought him back to life. All the things that we see and experience in this world pale in comparison to the power and the strength of God. I think sometimes we need to wake up to that fact. And I got a feeling if we would wake up to the true power of God in our lives, it'd change the way we viewed the world. Because we don't operate the power of God oftentimes. We operate in our own power. And we wonder why we can't figure it out. Now look at verse 11. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We rely on God's power. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. Now notice what he doesn't say. Put on your armor. That's not what he says. You figure out how to do it. That's not what he says. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Number one, we rely on God's power. Number two, we put on God's armor. See, it's all about God. Paul says, it's not your strength. It's not your ability, it's not your armor, it's God's strength, it's God's ability, it's God's armor. So Paul gives us his whole list now. He says you need to put on the belt of truth in verse 14. 
The breastplate of righteousness. So he's, he's listing this armor, right? There's, there's belts and there's, there's a breastplate and your feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Verse 16 says we need to take up the shield of faith. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Later on in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which by the way is the only offensive weapon listed here. Paul says you need to take these things and you need to put them on and you need to use them. This summer I was in Kansas City and in Kansas City is apparently the official national World War I museum. And so we went and visited. It's a fascinating museum, so well done and they've got so much in there, so many pictures and actual pieces of equipment. And you may or may not know this, but in the First World War, technology was not anywhere close to what it is today. In fact, in the First World War, there were literally people still fighting on horseback. That's true. And they would dig these trenches. And you may know the story of the First World War, but a lot of the First World War literally were these trenches they would dig 200 yards on the other side of the line. Somebody else would have a trench, and they would just literally come up out of the trench, run across, try to take the other trench. And when they were all killed, the other group would come up and they'd run and just back and forth. That's how World War II, II was fought. World War I was fought. They said you could walk hundreds of miles through trenches all through Europe. That's how it was fought. So they, they try to come up with these weapons that they can use. And it's in World War II, World I that they begin to use tanks. And it's in World War I they begin to use machine guns. And they try to figure out these weapons where they can win this war. But just imagine this scenario. Imagine if they develop these new weapons in this tank and these machine guns and they begin to use them and they begin to bring them to the front line. They begin to give them to the soldiers. And imagine as these soldiers on the front line have been fighting in these trenches for months and they see these new weapons and they say something like this. Wow, that's a really cool weapon, but we're not going to use that. There's no need for us to use this tank. And this gun that will fire multiple rounds per minute, we don't, we don't need that. Why don't you just take all that stuff back with you, put that back in the warehouse. We're just going to keep jumping up out of this trench and running across and trying to win. We've got, we've got a knife and a single-shot rifle, and then we've got some rocks, and we think we can do this, man. We think we can win this. That's absurd, isn't it? They would never do that. They took every ounce of military power they could. They took every ounce of technology, every weapon, and every piece of armor they could use to their full advantage. But here's what we do. God says, I've given you the most powerful weapons and the most powerful armor. All you got to do is put it on and we say, God, we don't need it. I got this. God, I don't need to worry about putting on the belt of truth. I don't need to be worried about putting on righteousness and peace and faith and salvation. God, I, I can figure all this out myself. I can do all these things myself. God, I don't need your help. I will figure this out and do this myself. And God says, wait a minute. All you got to do is put on righteousness here, right? All you got to do is trust me and, and study my truth. All you got to do is build up your faith. All you got to do is, is study the word of God. If you'll just do these things, God said, I, I'll begin to move and I'll begin to work and you can use my armor to protect you. And I'll be able to defeat the devil. But here's what we do. We, we take a look at this armor. And if you're like me, guys, I look at this armor and I think, wow, you know, there's a sword and... There's a shield and there's a helmet. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? I mean, we, that's kind of cool stuff, man. I, let, let's put this armor on. Let's not leave this armor behind. You know what, God, you're right. We, we need to use your armor. We need to take your armor and we need, to, we need to embrace it and we need to put it on. And let's take this sword and then let's just rush into battle. And let's attack and let's defeat Satan. And let's win the victory for Christ, right? And that's kind of how we feel. And, and, and then we see what God says in verse 10 through 14. I'm going to read it again. And I want to emphasize something to you. I want you to listen. Verse 10 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand. You can underline that word if you want to against the devil's scheme. So God wants us to stand. Wait a minute, God, I want to go and attack, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God. Now listen. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand at your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And then to verse 14, stand firm then. And it kind of runs contrary to what we think, doesn't it? We think we, we need to do this, God. We need to attack We need to put on the armor. We need to move forward. And God says, you know, it's not really about you attacking. It's about you resting in my power and resting in my protection. God says, if you really want to defeat the spiritual forces of evil, then you live a righteous life. Then you understand the truth of Scripture. Then you study the Word of God. Then you share your faith with those around you. If you'll just do those things in your realm where you can understand and where you can actually function, if you'll just do those things, if you'll just stand firm where you are, just live your life the way I've called you to live it and stand firm and keep the devil from defeating you, just stand where you are and resist with my armor of truth and righteousness and peace. If you'll do those things, then I'll take care of the rest. You say, well, that's interesting, but that's a difficult thing to do because I kind of want to maintain control of things. And the idea of standing kind of in a defensive posture is not exactly what I had in mind, God. Then there's something I can do. Can I attack? Can I be a part of this victory? I had the opportunity when I was in college to to go out west and do some rock climbing. If you've ever done any rock climbing, you understand that if you're going to do it the right way, I guess the safe way, you kind of put all this equipment on. So we put this big harness on and there are all these ropes and all these metal things in the rock. And it's about 40 feet. It's not a long climb. And so we put all this equipment on and there's a rope that goes all the way up to the top and it goes through some loops basically and it comes back down and there's the instructor guy. He's right there with us and he's got this rope and it kind of goes in here and wraps around and comes out and he's got a hand in the front and a hand in the back. You know, you've seen that before. And he says, go, let's go start climbing. So, you know, we start climbing and as we climb, he's taking slack out of the rope. He's not pulling us up, but he's taking slack out. So if we fall, he's ready to, you know, to help us. And so we get to the top, you know, I get all the way to the top, and 40 feet from up there looks a lot farther than 40 feet from down here, trust me. So I'm looking down, I'm thinking, wow, you know, never look down, that's what they say. I'm thinking, how am I going to get down? I hadn't really considered that, you know, I didn't think about the end. I thought, this is cool, and then I get up there, and I'm like, how am I going to get down? So I'm thinking, I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? How do I get down? And you know what the instructor says? He looks at me, he says, let go. (laughs) Hold on now. I'm 40 feet in the air. There's a sheer cliff here. If I let go, this is not a good thing. I'm, this is totally unnatural for me. This is not what I would normally do. And he says, just let go. But you think, you know, I want to be in control of this, man. I, I want to control this descent. You know, you've been there. I've been there. We want to control things. We want to have our hands gripped tightly to where we are. And we want to manipulate and control and do exactly what we want to do. And the instructor said, if you do it that way, it's not going to work. You've got to let go. And I look at my life and I see the same thing oftentimes. See, I want to hold tight and I want to grip and I want to control and I, I, I. And God says, you know what? Let go. Just let go. Focus on me and focus on my truth and focus on my righteousness and focus on all the things I've called you to do and let go and I'll deal with the spiritual influences in the realms you can't even understand. 
So we rely on God's power. We rely on God's armor. Now look at verse 12. Paul says, For our struggle is not, again, here's our confusion, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we rely on God's power, we rely on God's armor, and thirdly, we let God fight the battle. It's not a battle we can fight. It's not a battle we can understand. It's certainly not a battle that we can win. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is the story of Gideon. Maybe you remember Gideon is charged with fighting the Midianites. And most people believe that when Gideon is prepared to fight these Midianites as they're encamped in the valley, there's probably 120, 130,000 soldiers that he's going to fight against. And Gideon says, I'm not sure what I'm going to do, Lord. I need some soldiers. And so they kind of put the call out of people of Israel and 32,000 men show up. Gideon's outnumbered approximately four to one. You understand that, right? So you can just imagine Gideon, he's just scared to death, Lord, I mean, four to one, those are terrible odds. We're going to get killed, Lord, we're going to get slaughtered, there's only 32,000 of us and we need more men. And God says, no, 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 Gideon, you got it wrong. You got too many men. <laughs> In fact, Gideon, you, you need to tell all these guys, if you're afraid or you're scared in any way, just go on home right now. 22,000 men, just leave. Gideon's got 10,000 guys. So he goes from being outnumbered 4 to 1, now he's outnumbered about 13 to 1. He's like, Lord, <laughs> okay, 10,000? How in the world, God, they're going to kill us and it's going to be terrible? And God said, no, 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 Gideon, you've still got too many guys. In fact, Gideon, you need, to, you need to take them down to the river and you need to let them drink. And depending on the way they drink the water, you can send a certain number of guys home. And so Gideon takes them down and they drink. And when it's all said and done, Gideon's got 300 guys left. 300 he goes from being outnumbered four to one. Now he's outnumbered approximately 400 to one. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Now you know the story. God does incredible things and they hide in the hills and they break the pots and the lanterns and the Midianites ultimately defeat themselves and God is totally victorious and Gideon doesn't lose a single soldier. And we ask ourselves the question, why would God do that? Why would he do it that way? Here's why. Because God is going to receive the glory. And he could have done it with 30,000. He could have done it with 50,000. He could have done it with 3,000. He could have done it with zero. But he chose in this instance to display his power so that Gideon and the Israelite people would know that he was God. Now see, I believe in my heart that we all kind of have this threshold there is a point in our lives at some point where we, we just kind of maintain control. God, I've got it, I've got it. And God kind of whittles us down a little bit more. I've still got it, God. I've still got it, and he whittles us down. i got it, God. i got it. He whittles us down until we finally say, God, you've got to take this. I can't do it. I can't do this, God. I'm down to 300 men here. I have no chance. I have no hope. God, there's no hope in my marriage. There's no hope in my job. There's no hope with my children. There's no help. There's no hope financially for me. There's no hope physically for me or with my health. God, I, I can't do it. And it is at that moment when we give it to God and we fully rely on him that he says, okay, now. Now you're going to see my glory. Now you're going to see my power. You tried to control this for so long and now you're finally give it to me. Watch everything that I can do. Watch my strength and watch my power, and watch my name be glorified in all the earth. And so I just wonder for us right now where we are on that level.
Are we still holding on? God, I still got this. I'm I'm, going to figure this out, God, and he's going to whittle us down a little bit more. They're fewer now. God, I still got this. I think I can still, he's going to whittle us down. He's going to whittle us down. He's going to whittle us down, and we're going to come to a point where we fall on our knees and we say, God, you've got to take this because I can't do it. And it's in that moment that he receives glory. And it's in that moment that we see his power in ways we could never imagine. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says this, talking about Christ. He says, having disarmed the powers and authorities. Those are the wicked forces, the evil forces in the spiritual realm. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. This is Christ. Triumphing over them by the cross. You see, Jesus has defeated the spiritual forces of darkness. Now, they haven't ultimately been destroyed. And there are issues we're still going to face. And there's spiritual warfare that we're still going to battle. And things are going to still rage. But ultimately, because of the cross, Jesus Christ has defeated Satan. One scholar said it like this. Satan hates the cross because there he was decisively defeated forever. I want you to understand something. No matter where you are right now. No matter what battles may be raging in your heart. No matter what battles may be raging in your marriage, at your job, health, physical, financial, no matter what spiritual influences or what spiritual battles you're facing, I want you to understand, I want you to cling to this promise. That because of who Jesus Christ is, because of what he accomplished at the cross, that through him, no matter how intense it may rage, there is hope in Jesus Christ. And if we'll trust him And we'll put on his armor and we'll let him fight the battle. His name will be glorified in all the earth and we'll be amazed at his power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the ability and the time to study your word, Lord. We thank you for the clarity of spiritual warfare, Lord. I pray right now that those people that didn't know or even those that did know but had never really comprehended, Father, I pray we all have a better understanding now of the importance of understanding spiritual warfare, of the battles that rage around us, Lord. And I pray that we have a better understanding of putting our trust in you, putting our faith in you, Father, clothing ourselves with your righteousness and with your truth and allowing you to protect us and allowing you to fight the battle, Father. And I pray no matter where we are that we'd give up that fight ourselves. we give up the desire to try to win it ourselves and we give it all to you. And then I pray, Father, you do incredible things in our midst. It's in Jesus' precious and powerful and holy name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. Today's going to be a little bit different for us. You notice that we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to kind of mix in our invitation with the time of Lord's Supper. So if you want to come during this time and pray, you certainly can. If you want to come and talk, you certainly can do that as well. But I'm going to ask at this time, if they would, our, our ordained deacons. If you guys would make your way to the front, please. You guys will make your way to the front. Just line up down here for me. We're going to pass. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.